I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. Plush care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Halcyon, the book of Pyman is a fantasy horror podcast inspired by historical events and characters. This is a work of fiction and was created, developed, and produced by a multicultural team of various religious faiths and beliefs. Professor Pyman lives in a dangerous world. His story contains themes of violence, gore, and attempted sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. Chapter 4 Mermaid Tears Part 2 Pyman did his best to ignore the weasel like Sidney Calibus. The man's overt, anxious behavior was, to say the least, irksome. In all honesty, Pyman detested Sidney's very presence on the best days. But today, he was doubly vexing. Sidney barged into Pyman's wagon after one short, curt knock on the door. Pyman wasn't startled as he had heard Sidney's nasally voice chastising workmen on his approach. The man had no sense of discretion and very little sense of self-preservation. Pyman continued poring over last month's issues of the London Courier. 
Before Sidney could utter a word and begin his post-matinee tirade, the professor held up a single finger to silence him. When Sidney insisted on trying to speak again, Pyman shot him a stern glance, and the thin man's words died behind his teeth. Pyman went back to his study of the periodical. Troubling news from across the pond. A murder and subsequent theft rocked the faithful of St. Etheldredus Church. The headlines read, Fear once again grips the citizens of London. Brutal murder scene found at the altar of the church. Has the Whitechapel murderer returned? Pyman felt Sidney's weight shift in the wagon as he approached the small table near the window where various artifacts, glass and crystal, shone in the sun. A white-gloved finger reached out to touch a familiar storm-gray jewel. Sydney. <sighs> I can deal with your incessant sighs. I can deal with your anxious pacing. But if you touch one more of my belongings, I promise you, I will remove your still-beating heart from your chest and show it to you. <laughs> oh, my good man. You always have such colorful threats. <laughs> Just last week you told me. <laughs> if I interrupted you again, <laughs> you'd reach into my mouth and pull out my tongue and stuff it into my ears. So I could hear my own nonsense. <laughs> oh, Pyman. <laughs> you know I can't help but admire your fascinating trinkets. Pyman folded the month-old issue of the newspaper and sat it down on his desk, pinching the bridge of his uh, nose and closing his eyes. Artifacts, my simple man. They are artifacts and as artifacts they should be held in higher esteem and treated with more reverence by the likes of you Pyman rose slowly from behind his large oak desk and strode towards Sydney take this piece for example Pyman reached above Sydney's head to a hidden upper shelf then pulled down what looked like the remnant of a suit of armor, an ornate glove and gauntlet combination. The gold inlays shone brightly in the late day sun coming in from the window, and the sapphire scarab set in the back of the glove caused the light to dance across Sidney's face. Sidney began to lose himself, enamored in the craftsmanship, and apparent value of the piece. His greedy eyes traced the filigree and gold down to the fingers of the glove, and he hesitantly lifted his own hand towards the professor's enigmatic treasure. Each metal finger and the thumb were tapered into a curved, razor-sharp talon. The longer Sidney studied the artifact, 
the more he thought he heard distant whispering. Sydney moved ever closer and closer to the scarab, gently reaching out his hand to touch the smooth finish of the deep blue cabochon. God damn it, man. Honestly, how many times a day must I threaten your life? Keep your greasy hands to yourself. Last warning. The professor reached back to the top shelf and reverently replaced the glove. Now safely out of Sydney's view and his reach. That artifact belonged to Pharaoh Tutmose III. They called him the warrior Pharaoh. He was the sixth Pharaoh of the 18th dynasty of ancient Egypt. He captured over 350 cities and led at least 17 military campaigns without losing a single battle. He commissioned the construction of that artifact from the riches he seized from his conquests. He called it the Hand of Amun-Ra. Many of his enemies met their end on those talons. Can you imagine that metal ripping into your skin, pulling at your flesh and sinew, cracking your bones until there's nothing recognizable left of you? The professor smiled coldly and winked at Sydney. I've spent what feels like a lifetime adding to my collection. Ah, yes. I feel even the likes of you could appreciate the exquisite craftsmanship of this next item. Pyman turned to stand in front of Sydney, who absentmindedly began scanning the wagon for the next item up in Professor's macabre show-and-tell. Pyman rolled his eyes, and with the back of his hand moved Sydney to the side, out of his way. He took several long strides across the floor of the wagon, coming to stand in front of a hand-carved box. Deeply engraved in the reddish wood were scenes of an ancient battlefield. Armies of feudal-era samurai on horseback were depicted on all visible sides of the ornate panels. All of them seemed to be rushing towards the lid of the box, followed by companies of foot soldiers and archers. Pyman hefted the box from the loose shelf with ease and walked to the front of his large desk, carefully placing the box on its surface. A childlike glow once again flashed across Sidney's face as he approached. With a deft hand, Pyman removed the clasps holding the box closed and lowered the sides, revealing its contents. Sidney's eyes widened as Pyman moved to the side. A long, slightly curved sword in black scabbard 
of golden filigree rested on two perfectly symmetrical tines. Sydney thought they could be some species of deer antler, but they were identical. The hilt of the sword was wrapped simply in a beautiful crossing braid pattern. Inlaid in the handle, just under the wrap, was a golden pendant. Sidney thought he recognized the symbol, maybe having seen it on one of the tomes Pyman had on one of his mini shelves. He started to reach his skeletal fingers out to caress the hilt, but caught Pyman's gaze and quickly thought better of it. This blade belonged to a warrior from the Japanese Isles. During a most bloody era of human history, Legend has it that he was no man at all, but yet a demon who took the form of a man. He wore armor black as night and rode a steed just as dark with red eyes. Paimon reached out and carefully lifted the sword from its perch. He brought it up to eye level and slowly unsheathed the blade exposing only the first 10 to 12 inches of the steel. Oh, the steel. It's black. Only the edge reflects any light at all. (laughs) This fellow sure enjoyed a chilling aesthetic. Once again, his spindly fingers started to reach up to touch the steel of the blade. Hyman quickly resheathed the sword, causing Sydney to gasp in surprise. As much entertainment as I would get from watching you bleed to death from merely touching the blade. It's a chore to clean, and I have other matters to attend to. I say, my dear professor, what is that mask resting below the sword? It's absolutely A black half-mask was suspended on another set of those strange antlers. The long, black silk ties flowed out like dark streams on either side of the mask, stretching almost to the edges of the box. There were long, golden tusks protruding from the bottom jaw, and every tooth came to a savage point. Two golden horns jutted out from the chin. Sydney was unable to make out the scrimshaw designs carved into every inch of the mask before Pyman closed the box. That is called an Oni mask. It was worn by samurai in battle for protection and to strike fear into the hearts of their enemies dashing all hope of victory. That particular Oni mask was worn by the black-clad samurai who laid waste to one shogun's entire army, single-handedly. His true name's been lost to the annals of time, but those that survived the carnage he dealt called him Otoko Koroshi. The Manslayer. 
Honestly, Pyman, you just far too much at my expense. Really, the sword and mask of some Japanese devil from a bygone era, the glove of some ancient Egyptian god-king worn into battle. <laughs> Everything here in this dingy wagon has some historical importance, you say? And what of this? Sidney quickly shuffled past Pyman, who was now leaning against the desk with his arms folded, to a darkened piece of parchment hung in the window of the wagon, held aloft by three solid gold clasps. Sidney reached up and snatched the paper down, and strode defiantly back to his partner. <laughs> Tell me, did this parchment belong to a monarch of some ancient kingdom lost to time? Made from some rare fiber not seen since the time of Moses. <gasps> oh, no, or Noah for that matter. Sidney's amusement subsided when he saw the look on Pyman's face. He swallowed hard as the professor uncrossed his arms and touched off from his heavy desk and closed the distance between them. Pyman reached out and plucked the paper from Sidney's bony grasp. The dark-eyed man towered over the ringmaster. Pyman met his eyes, then looked down to the parchment in his hand. Sidney held his breath as the professor spoke. This, Sidney, was the schedule Eli had prepared for this evening's show. My dear Feodora had delivered it to me, but not after spilling her morning coffee all over it. I'm afraid, despite my best efforts, it's beyond saving, and I'll have to send for Eli to replicate it. Honestly, man, you can't believe every story you hear. This is show business, after all. Sidney let out a deep breath and nervously laughed away his embarrassment along with the professor, smoothing the brocade on his jacket and wiping the sweat from his brow. Now, what on earth? earth was so important that you felt the need to invite yourself into my private quarters. Can't you see I'm quite occupied? So, do be brief, man. Pyman walked back behind his desk and started to take his seat. <clears throat> I came to discuss my Exit from our contract. I'm sorry. I, I must have misheard. Did I just hear you say you were here to discuss the breaking of the contract you made? <laughs> Pyman, please don't be absurd. No, no, I would never break our contract. I, I merely wish to discuss. <laughs> Pyman cut him off with one menacing look. 
those eyes. Those eyes had always frightened Sidney, chilled him to his core. Standing to his full height, Pyman walked around the desk once again, drawing close to Sidney. Pyman adjusted his vest as he leaned in. So, then, discuss. Yes, I only wished to discuss with you. (laughs) Please forgive my confusion, my remarkably bold little friend. I thought it was made crystal clear to you and your brother all those years ago that your contract was binding and stood in perpetuity until such time as you were both replaced or released by me. Might I remind you, as obviously it has slipped your feeble mind, that you had nothing, and you were nothing before I came along. Exactly. I, I knew full well the conditions of our contract when I signed it, and well, I have, I have found my replacement. Can't you see? Calliope! Her arrival has heralded my succession. You said, you said replacement. I have brought you the missing piece of Silas. Younger and able to serve you longer by far more. Hyman grabbed Sidney by the collar and brought him up, eye to eye. You treasonous fucking weaselly worm. You'd sacrifice your own niece, your own blood. To what? Move on to some shit-eating grifter lifestyle out in California. Free from your obligations because Calliope heralded your succession. I told you, you were free when I released or replaced you. You dare challenge or question me! Her arrival changes nothing for you. Nothing! Do you understand me? Oh, I'll have your shriveled balls and other equally useless pieces of you in jars on my desk for this, you slimy sack of shit! A gentle knock interrupted the conclusion of the discussion. Pyman let go of Sidney's collar, dropping him abruptly to the floor of the wagon. The professor knelt down next to the shaking mass that was his business partner. We're not done discussing your proposed exit, Sydney. Rest assured I'll be along to conclude our talk soon enough. Get out. Sydney scrambled to his feet gathering himself up as much as he could. Pyman stepped to the door of the wagon, straining his vest once more. When he opened it, he found the aged, yet kind face of Samuel standing at the top step. Pyman smiled. Samuel. To what do I owe the pleasure, old friend? Tell me. Is everything all right? I can, um, 
Come back later if you'd like to finish a conversation with Mr. Sidney. No, no, of course not. Our dear friend Sidney and I have made arrangements to continue our dialogue at a later time. Pyman turned his head, fixing a chilling gaze on the ringmaster. Isn't that right, partner? <laughs> Too right, Professor. Too right. With that, Sidney slid past Samuel on his way down the steps of the wagon. Mr. and Mrs. Prescott are here to see you. They both seem mighty vexed about something. Poor Mrs. Prescott hasn't been able to form a single word since so handsome arrived outside the ticket booth. Thank you, Samuel. I'll take it from here. Make sure he isn't allowed to leave, my old friend. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. Prescott. Mrs. Prescott? My dear, whatever is the matter? As the rain clouds began to gather in the distant sky, the pair of affluent citizens stood in the muck and mire on the outskirts of a sideshow's thoroughfare. Their otherwise opulent clothing was now soiled by the mud of a Coney Island field. The professor placed his hands on the sobbing woman's shoulder and lowered his head to meet her red and puffy eyes. Eleanor Prescott opened her mouth to speak, but her voice caught in her throat. Tears began to well in her eyes 
and streamed down her face as she collapsed back into her husband's shoulder. Mr. Prescott, Fergus, tell me, what has happened? <clears throat> Not here, Professor. Could we, um, retire to your wagon, please? Of course. Please. I'll put a kettle on as well. Come. Pyman gestured graciously towards his awaiting wagon. As the Prescotts began to walk, he put his arms around both of their shoulders and gave them a reassuring squeeze. We'll get this sorted, I'm sure. Pyman brought forward a steaming cup of Earl Grey tea and handed it to Mrs. Eleanor Prescott. A crystal tumbler full of a fine single malt scotch was passed to Mr. Fergus Prescott. Pyman cocked his head as he took his seat across from the pair. Now then, please, tell me. What has the two of you traipsing all the way out here to Coney Island to seek me out? You know you could have sent a handsome and a message, and I would have come to your aid immediately. Well, you see, it's not as easy as all that, I'm afraid. With all the happenings, we knew after the editor's party you were the only one who could help. You see, we are not Catholic. So the goddamn priests, they refuse to help us in this matter. It's our youngest son, Nathaniel. You see, he's just recently returned from an archaeological trip to the Near East. Some, some unexplored place between two large rivers there. He wrote to us, Professor. He told us his team had uncovered many treasures there and discovered things no one else had. He was so excited to share his discoveries with us. He wanted to write a book about his adventures. When he returned home, he wasn't right. He seemed as if... A mother knows her child, Professor. Who or what came back from the Near East? Whoever it was, it isn't my Nathaniel... Professor, he's been speaking in languages he doesn't know. Languages I've never even heard before. The noises. The noises, they aren't normal. Things. Off things keep happening. Our boy hasn't slept in weeks. He's begun eating. Unnatural things. Insects. My dear God, Professor, the raw flesh of the pets. Professor, I think our boy is possessed. Possessed? Yes. Yes. Possessed by the devil or some other malcontented spirit that followed him home from wherever he was. 
as I said before, the goddamn Catholics won't help us. We thought maybe you would be willing to just come and survey the scene, so to speak. If you will, and assess if you can help our boy or not. We will pay handsomely for your time and efforts. A sly smile crept across Pyman's face. My dear friends, of course I will offer all my knowledge and gifts to help poor Nathaniel. In situations such as these, due to the personal liability I face and the delicate nature of the work involved, I find that a contract of sorts is often very useful. Come, come now. It won't take but a few moments to draw it up, and then we'll be on our way to your son. I'm sure we can come to an accord that's favorable for all involved parties. My contracts are very standard, I assure you. Pyman stood and walked behind his large desk, opened the middle drawer, and produced a stack of parchment, gently laying it out on the surface of the desk. After all, my good people, the devil is in the details. The professor's wagon was settled in the outskirts of the carnival encampment. Hidden at first glance by a few trees, and nearest to a small pond, abutting what was still a farmer's field. The smell of freshly cut hay, and the damp, musty scent of the woods mixed in a way that wasn't altogether unpleasant as Calliope approached, giving herself an internal pep talk, bucking up her courage to ask questions of the mysterious Professor Pyman. She turned Vilha's words over in her mind, time and again. Calliope took a deep breath, clutching the pendant around her neck. The little boy, Daniel, who had led her to the professor's wagon, silently plodded along beside her. His haunted expression seemed ever-present, and Calliope wondered if he had been born mute or faced some tragic fever or accident in his short life. The boy clung to Siobhan or Samuel most of the time, happy to sit quietly in their soothing company. Calliope made an extra point to be kind to him, and he'd even taken her hand along the way. Daniel stopped, gesturing now to the familiar wagon. Thank you, Daniel. You're a very good guide. I think I'll remember the way from now on. Calliope fished a taffy out of her skirt pocket and remembered Vilha, feeling the smooth stones, the mermaid's tears, wrapped in her handkerchief, tucked safely in her pocket. 
she handed the tree to the small boy, who uncharacteristically smiled and accepted the candy. He turned and scampered back in the direction of the main encampment, and Calliope stood alone, facing the wagon, and possibly the enigmatic Professor Pyman. She could hear her own heartbeat as she approached, pushing the terrifying images and thoughts from last night out of her mind. Whatever he was, or is, the professor held answers. Please, tell me. You have to. You have to tell me. Her thoughts were interrupted as she caught the sight of a shadow in the wagon's window. Good. He was there. Now is the time. Calliope walked up to the door and, finding it ajar, knocked as she pushed it open. The wagon's interior was dark as night, but only in patches from sunlight coming through the glass panes in two small windows. Hello? Professor? Calliope squinted as her eyes adjusted to the dark, but there was no answer, no sign of life. She stepped inside a little further, noting that the far wall was lined with shelves that were cluttered, though neatly, with all manner of jars, boxes, and curios. Professor, sir, I'd like to speak with you. Again, her words were met with silence. There was no movement in the wagon, save her own. And no noise, with the exception of her footsteps and breathing. Professor? A ray of sunlight illuminated a jar on the nearest shelf. Calliope inspected its contents then suddenly jumped back, letting out an audible yelp. <gasps> Hands over her mouth, she realized what the jar held was a tiny infant. Its frozen little face was scrunched up, as if it was unable to stand the grayish-green liquid surrounding it. But there was something very odd about this baby. It had a tail where its legs should be. Tiny fins. Silvery, just like... It couldn't be. No. Impossible. As impossible as a real mermaid. Calliope couldn't help but ask herself. Try as she might, Having turned Vilha's appearance over and over in her mind for the rest of the morning, she couldn't make sense of it. And children, children we never got to see. Vilha's voice was in her ears again. But surely this was a hoax, an elaborate put on, a show business as it were, like she read about in the newspapers. Calliope swallowed against the dryness in her throat and let her eyes wander over the rest of the shelf's contents. An ornate cup, 
what looked to be a bejeweled, decorated egg. Boxes and small crates of various sizes. But then, she saw them. They were floating in a jar, not unlike the chilling mermaid child, but smaller and discernible. Eyes. A pair of eyes stared at her from their place on the shelf, now directly in front of her face. To whom did these belong? The fluid looked fresh and clear, as did the eyes. Cleanly cut and bright blue were the irises that stared back at her. Bluer than Dr. Grisham's, but still. She'd read death did funny things to organs. And what if... Just... What... If... From the corner of the wagon, behind the desk, she saw movement. This time she knew it, and saw more clearly a shape in the darkness, growing, looming over her before a deafening crack made the world go dark. When Calliope woke, she was face down, floating in the water of the pond behind the wagon. The water, murky and brown, made her feel like she was dreaming in some dark, faraway place. She blinked, letting her mind adjust to the dream. It had to be a dream because she was breathing under the water. Cattails and swamp grasses tickled her fingers just out of grasp while tiny fish swam by her face, curious but wary. And still, breathe in, breathe out. Calliope, feeling weighed down by her petticoats and jacket, started to move, first wiggling her fingers, then lifting her arms kicking her legs against the chilly water. With immense effort, she turned her head, and there it was. The darkening sky, the shadow of the trees, even the field. Slowly, carefully, Calliope swam and wiggled her way to the bank, starting to feel the throbbing in the back of her head. She coughed and sputtered, Wondering how long she'd been in the pond where she landed. A soaking heap in grass and dirt. It was then she realized what she clutched tightly in her hand. The pebbles. One, two, three. Wrapped safely inside a small piece of fabric. The tears of the mermaid... What had Phila truly given her? As she coughed up muck and water, <coughs> Calliope lay on the bank, gasping like a fish. Unable to move for a moment, she noticed 
the drag marks. Two even trails leading from the wagon through the tampered down grass and gravel, parallel to one another. As if she hadn't been coughing enough, she felt the bile rise in her throat, and she spilled the contents of her stomach onto the muddy bank as well. It was not every day that someone tries to kill you, she told herself. Thinking back to the last thing she saw before it all went dark. That pair of eyes staring up at her from behind the glass. Halcyon, the book of Pyman podcast, and all its entities are a production of Pyman Media, LLC, all rights reserved. Halcyon, the book of Pyman, is written by Shannon Lynn and James Gray, directed and edited by Jared Huffaker. Music and sound effects provided by Epidemic Sound. All episodes are available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And Professor Pyman asks for you to please rate, review, and subscribe and visit halcyonpodcast.com for more information. deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.